Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight. And we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to Preston, you please begin the show. Yes, I'm here. Yeah, and I'm here too. We want to welcome our audience to the guest of freedom. Tonight's guest is Dwight Zimmerman, Arthur, here to talk about his book, um, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln. The Hammer and the Anvil and the End of Slavery in America. The book also features artwork by Wayne Van Zant. Are you there? Yes, I am. Yeah, thank you. And it's uh, I'm very uh, proud and honored to uh, be a guest on your program. Okay. Well, Mr. Zimmerman, can you tell us how you uh, became interested in this project? That brought about the uh, the book that you've written, the hammer and the anvil. Okay, uh, I had written a similar type of project uh, uh, on the Vietnam War, called the Vietnam uh, War: A Graphic History, uh, also with artist Wayne Van Zant, and. Uh, not long after you know that book came out, my editor approached me and said that, uh, asked me if I would be interested in writing a dual biography project on uh, the intersecting lives of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. And since I had written a variety of articles uh, on assorted Civil War topics, so I did know 
in a general sense, uh, their you know, experiences. And as a writer of history, this was certainly something that, uh, since I didn't know that much about, uh, it piqued my interest, and I said, well, yes, uh, I would certainly love to, if for nothing else, from a uh, selfish reason of saying, I want to know more about what this was. And uh, one thing led to another, and fortunately, uh, Wayne Van Sant was, uh, his schedule was uh, available, and uh, you know, we signed the contract, and I got the green light, and off I went. So had you ever written about the uh, Civil War prior to this book? Uh, a little bit here and there. Uh, the articles that I had done were very, very specific, you know, uh, battles, uh, individuals, nothing, you know, at all, you know, in the scope of what you were talking about here because, you know, this story covers, well, not just the whole war, but uh, obviously also their lives, you know, from start to finish. And it was really uh, an education for me. I, I knew, um, broadly speaking, I knew about Lincoln's life. I knew very little, frankly, about Frederick Douglass's life. Uh, I knew a couple of the high points, obviously, but when you, you know, the difference between a general knowledge and then what you need to know as a writer, uh, those are two completely separate things. And thus, as I delved into it, you know, working in the research and everything, boy, did I learn an awful lot. Okay. Well, you know, before we get into the book, uh, you might want to explain to our listeners uh, whether you had written in this format before, and this book is formatted in the graphic uh, format. Um, had you written well, in this format? Well, that's a very good question. Yeah, thank, you, thank you for asking that. Um, uh, for uh, the listeners, um, I actually got my start at Marvel Comics, you know, you know, X-Men, Spider-Man, you know, Iron Man, you know, the company that did all those heroes. And in point of fact, in my salad days at the early start of my career, uh, I, you know, I wrote uh, comic book stories about all those characters and a variety of others. And while at Marvel, one of the things that I kept talking to editors about was to say, hey, we need to do... Um, uh, comic book stories, you know, you know, nonfiction things, history-based biography, to you know, for uh, kids, you know, to you know, to introduce them to you know, history because, it, in point of fact, it's not just names and dates, names and dates, names and dates, names. You know, Columbus discovered America in 1492. Yes, all right, well and fine, but in point of fact. Uh, History is a very exciting thing because it's written, you know, it's people do it. Okay. And, I, you know, and I said, you know, the visual medium of the comics field is ideal for this to get kids interested in history. But 
uh, yeah, it, it never went anywhere. And it was only many years later uh, with the, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the rise of the graphic novels, the graphic biographies, uh, the graphic histories, um, particularly with Hill and Wang when they did the uh, history of the 9-11 book a few years ago, that you know, it opened a whole new chapter uh, with regards to publishing and reaching out to uh, you know, everyone and, and saying the stamp of approval that uh, yes, this you know this works, and I'm so happy for that because I really see an, an awful lot of opportunity here to tell the story, important stories of histories, such as the you know, Hammer and Anvil with uh, Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln, and I hope to see so many more stories like this out there because. Uh, there's so much history that needs to be known and is the stories are so interesting and that I'm a part of this I'm just so happy about I want to remind our listeners that if they would like to call in with a question or comment the number was given at the uh, top of the show Another number that you might call is 949-270-5957. Mr. Zimmerman, what was your uh, biggest challenge in in telling this biographical story utilizing a graphic format? I I guess the biggest challenge was uh, condensing uh, things Uh, because, you know, obviously I had a limited amount of pages, and you know the competition is between text and artwork. So what you're looking at is where are the real important points? Um, you know, fortunately, I was you know the you know in this period, this was an age of oratory. Uh, mm-hmm. People yeah, made many speeches. Letters were written. Uh, there's so much great documentation uh so i you know i had a lot of primary material that i was able to work with to uh, tell the story so at that point it is going through all of these different documents whether they were you know transcripts of pe- speeches letters what have you uh diaries you know, all all manner of things i it was just uh, a, a almost an overload overload of uh, material, and then having to winnow it down to where are the real important facts, you know, the statements, you know, to be said here and there. Uh, and I have to say that was really my biggest challenge, because I was dealing with such a wonderful wealth of material. And I can only hope that for, you know, people who pick up this book, you know, and they're seeing, you know, they're reading this, you know, I can tell them that, you know, the the important passages where you're seeing people making speeches, making their comments, uh, 
and everything, I really did try and find that gem within the array of jewels. You know, this was definitely not you know trying to find the uh, you know the diamond you know you know in that in the rough, but no, there were you know, it was so many well turned phrases, so many great statements. So uh, I, I'm sorry. Yes. Excuse me. Um, what resonated with you most about Abraham? I mean, uh, uh, Mr. Douglas's life, Frederick Douglass's life. What was one of those gems? Oh, that is difficult to choose from because I, he had so many stages. I um, I have to say that you know, stepping back, you know, when I assessed his whole life, um, it is his strength of character, and most importantly, as a kid. I uh, he he went through some horrific experiences uh witnessing uh abuse of slaves and then suffering abuse himself and he didn't break so everything that came from him in adult life was an extension of what he was able to achieve as a kid so it was his strength of character as a child when you are the most vulnerable because you don't have you know the you know the buttressing of experience and everything uh and he's witnessing some horrific events and then having horrific things happen to him you know the whippings and the beatings and he stood up yeah. perhaps yeah. not 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 directly, but you know mentally, and I have to say that really resonated. He ran away from uh, slavery at a very early age. Uh, actually, he was an adult when he was an he, adult. yeah uh, when he left uh, Maryland for uh, the north. Um, that is a. It's a fascinating story because... Um, Can you share that story with us? Uh, well, you know, his masters uh, were actually pretty... They were progressive within the context of the slaveholding era. Uh, they gave him a fair amount of freedom to associate with uh, other blacks, uh, you know, well, Negroes back then, and... There was a. It, it's a. It's one thing that I was not able to really uh, detail you know, for space limitations, but uh, there were essentially two classes of uh, African Americans, you know, during the uh, during the slave period of the United States era. You had the free African Americans and you had the slaves, and often they, you know, intermingled. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not widely known, you know, nowadays. And in point of fact, what happened was uh, Frederick Douglass met this woman who was a free African American, you know, at a church, uh, and 
she and he later became married, and she was instrumental in helping him escape from Maryland up to uh, you know, New England. And it's a it's a fascinating story. Uh, they had a genuine love. They shared uh, shared an interest in music. Uh, I forget <clears throat> right now. Uh, yeah, it was uh, violins, and I forget what she did. Um, I you know, I have to apologize for that. But they had a shared mu- you know, interest in music, and uh, both were accomplished musicians. And one thing led to another, and they got romantically relate uh, uh, associated, and they realized that for them to have a life that he wanted to live. The only way that that could happen was if he escaped. So she was instrumental in assisting him to uh, get a sailor's uniform, got him money to help bribe railroad uh, conductors, and he managed to get up into the north to uh, uh, to New England and start his second life. Well, did they they got married in New York City? Uh, they got married you know, in the North. I no, it wasn't in New York City because New York City was a very dangerous place for uh, African Americans during that period. Because what's not widely known nowadays is. That was a major hub for the slave trade. Uh, Even though technically importation of slaves was illegal, it was one of those um, situations where it wasn't that law wasn't enforced. In fact, it wasn't really enforced until the start of the Civil War, when uh, a slaver slave captain was uh, brought up on charges in New York City and the death penalty was uh, brought down and it it was a huge topic uh, on the news you know newspapers and everything and the petition for uh, a clemency you know, went all the way up to Abraham Lincoln. Okay. And Lincoln... We just got an email in wanting to know if you know anything about a David Ruggles. Is that name? Uh, oh, gosh. That yeah, that name sounds familiar. Uh, uh, nothing comes to mind immediately, but I'm in front of my computer, so uh, let me see... D-A-R-U-G-G-E-L-E-S, David Ruggles. R-U-G-G-L-E-S. Hold on here. Now, bear with me. Oh, okay. Okay, we can can move on from that. Yeah, that was just uh, inquiring. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm seeing that now. No, he was not a... I did not mention him in the book. And uh, yes, I did see uh, 
yeah, articles about him in my research, but uh, this this was a situation where, uh, because of spatial limitations, I could not uh, mention all of the different uh, abolitionists uh, involved. Uh, I did, yeah, yeah, obviously, I did have. Uh, yeah, some, particularly the ones who were more closely associated with uh, Frederick Douglass. Uh, those who, yeah, I, I had to keep a very tight focus on that sort of thing. Uh, Mr. Garrison and uh, a few others who were instrumental in helping Frederick Douglass. Uh, I would like to do you know another story you know with all these other people but uh the person who contacted raised a very good point and you know it is my regret that no I wasn't able to include him in this book okay were there any black uh, abolitionists uh in the book well aside from uh, Frederick Douglass uh, uh no uh well there were a few uh, especially when uh, Abraham Lincoln has that um, uh, pivotal meeting with a variety of African American leaders, to yeah, this is during the war when he is uh, trying to work out a consensus because uh, he would he was caught between so many different uh, conflicting points. Uh, because <clears throat> fundamentally, he's looking at it as saying, "Well, he wanted to preserve the union." You know, uh, and most of the people in the North were all for preserving the union. The slavery issue was a distant second, and he was really, you know, at the start of the war, he was really in a an awkward position knowing that yes it will the issue of what to do with slaves with regards to freeing them their status your whole nine yards it was a thing he was constantly wrestling with yeah i and not only just whether or not they would be accepted as citizens within the country he was looking at uh, perhaps uh, colonizing, you know, a la what, what happened in Liberia, uh, and I write about that in uh, you know in my book on page 122. I have it right here. You know, in on August 14, 1862, he summoned a group of five leaders of the Negro community in Washington D.C. to discuss the matter. The group included Edward M. Thompson, John T. Caston, uh, John F. Cook. Benjamin McCoy and Cornelius Clark. It it was the his, uh, a historic occasion for the first time. Free African Americans who were not servants were meeting the president, and he lays the whole thing out. Your, uh, Lincoln says, "Your race is suffering, the greatest wrong inflicted on any people." But even when but, you, I'm sorry, yes. well, that suffering beyond the poor whites, uh, they were mining the gold and. Uh, wouldn't be able to do that if slaves were mining the gold. Did the gold rush have any factor in that? 
Uh, no, not really, because we're, what Lincoln is talking about here is, you know, the whole fact of um, bondage. You know, you know uh, he really did not, yeah, he, he had witnessed, uh, yeah, he had done, uh, early in his life, he had taken uh, riverboats down to New Orleans, and he had seen, you know, the slave trade, the slave markets, and everything, um, and he came away with a hatred of the institution of slavery uh, as a moral issue. So when he's talking about that, he's talking about the injustice of a human owning another human and abusing that thereof, you know, in in every respect possible. And he, recognizing the prejudices of the white community during that period, he is trying to find a solution. He's not offering answers. He's literally groping, you know, uh, and he's trying to work with every group possible. You know, as you know, evidenced by you know, what I just said with this group, taking the extraordinary measure for that period of bringing this group of African Americans into the White House and laying everything on the table and saying, I, I, I want to work with you. Let's see what we can do to try and find a solution. And it's... You know, it's a messy situation. There's no two ways about that. And there's no cut-and-dry solution, particularly because this was in the middle of a war on top of that. Mm-hmm. It was really amazing to see how much Lincoln was, you because know, he had, obviously, you know, just dealing with you know, the battlefield situation and all of that, but he was looking beyond that, trying to grapple with a solution for this fundamental thing to... Did uh, universal suffrage play any role in this in terms of the uh, the poor and landless uh, white men um, allowed to vote, or when did they, when were they allowed to vote? Well... That is a part of this. This is not you know, a, you know, I don't dwell on that you know, with my book. Uh, it is mentioned when we get into the part about the Civil War amendments, um, in which you know, the, uh, in which you know African American males uh, receive the right to vote, and also uh, African Americans were acknowledged as citizens. Uh, There were, you know, the three Civil War amendments, which I uh, believe are the 15th, 16th, and 17th. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, correct, uh, I'm working on memory at that particular point. So, you know, any of the listeners, if you're challenging me, you know, on on that, uh, fair enough. But there were three, and they were all related to establishing 
uh, citizenship for African Americans, granting you know, African American males the right to vote, you know, and uh, eliminating slavery. Okay. Uh, do you deal with bloody Kansas at all and the role that that might have played? Uh, not really, because uh, that was a sci- uh, that was outside of things. I, John Brown was, you know, is in the book, but that's only with respect to uh, his meeting with Frederick Douglass uh, prior to the Harper's Ferry uh, incident. And uh, so it's a tangential mention, you know, essentially establishing who John Brown was. And, uh, you know, and then... Can you tell us a little bit more about that meeting? Uh, that meeting was pretty... Uh, obviously, those two people knew each other, you know, and established a relationship. And they had two separate approaches to the whole abolition movement. Uh, Frederick Douglass tried to work within the system, and John Brown, his whole approach was uh, tear it down. Uh, he he took, basically, John Brown took a terrorist uh, approach. Yeah, well, you know, John Brown was known as a radical abolitionist. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, well, I think there were three phases of ab- abolitionist uh, and he was more of a radical abolitionist, whereas Lincoln might have been what they call the free soiler, that is, uh, an extension of slavery. Yeah. I, slavery uh, yeah. remained where it was in uh, the states where it existed. Uh, Lincoln was on record for, you know, stating, well, you know, he famously with his uh, letter to Horace Greeley, he said, you know, um, if I could preserve the Union by uh, you know, keeping slavery, I would. If it meant uh, some you know, slaves would be freed and others would not, uh, obviously I'm paraphrasing, you know, yeah, he, you know, the, the, the yeah. standard was you know, he would accept slavery if it meant preserving the Union. If it meant partial freedom and partial slavery, he would accept that. And if it meant... The only way it could happen is abolition of slavery. He would do that. Uh, his whole purpose was preserving the Union, and he was basically he was keeping his options open. Uh, what was so interesting when he wrote that letter, you know, about Greeley uh, to Greeley, he actually had already made up his mind to eliminate slavery. But he, you know, it was a private, yeah, it was a thing where he uh, kept that secret. Yeah, here we go. Uh, and on page 126 of uh, the book, uh, I say, and on August 22nd, Lincoln wrote a response, because Greeley you know, was saying, let's get rid of slavery now. So he said, Uh, My paramount object in the struggle is to save the Union, and it is not either to save or destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. 
What so I do, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, almost done. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because I believe it helps to save the union. And what I forbear, I forbear because I do not believe it would help to save the union. Now, when Frederick Douglass read that, uh, he said, "Yeah, he actually." Initially, he was disappointed, but he saw within it a germ of hope. <clears throat> and it was vindicated with the Emancipation Proclamation. And uh, obviously, we know what, you know what ultimately happened there. Right. Uh, well, this whole westward uh, expansion is probably what motivated the need for the Union to be preserved. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, the Homestead Act. Um, what what role did that play? Well, you're, you're quite right about the westward expansion, because that is really the crux of the whole conflict. Um, the South was scared. Yeah, they had, yeah, within... The original 13 colonies, you know, from uh, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, on down you know, to Georgia, the original 13, and then Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Missouri. Okay. Uh, you know, they had yeah, they had slaves, uh, but what you know. With the expansion, you know, the acquisition of territory, that you know, suddenly this, you know, the nation became a continental nation, and Southerners were seeing their way of life threatened. Uh, by their way of life, you know, we're talking uh, the slaveholding interests, uh, the plantations, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they saw a political power threat, and they were trying to, they were basically being very reactionary and obstructionist, trying to hold back as much as they could the acquisition of new states and trying to work out systems that would be, so for any free state, there would be a counterpart slave state. Uh, This is where we had the bleeding Kansas, you know, in the Kansas-Nebraska scenario. Okay. Uh, It it was a losing proposition, which they, you know, know, the, the southern politicians understood, because there was no way that they could export slavery into areas where, because of the climate and the land, uh, slavery really wasn't practical. Could you take a moment to explain uh, the Homestead Act for our listeners? Ah, the Homestead Act was one of the greatest uh, acts ever passed by uh, the United States government. What they wanted to uh, what they wanted to do, and actually my grandparents uh, you know, took advantage of that. Um, they, to settle the frontier at its very basic you know, core, it was so long, uh, 
they would give you free and clear 160 acres of land and a mule if you settled there and uh, farmed it, uh, well, basically set up your, your home and uh, cultivated the land you know, in one form or another. And it was the yeah, one of the most wonderful things that could ever you know happen because people who never had an opportunity, particularly in Europe, where um, yeah, people just didn't have a chance to purchase land, and they're hearing of this opportunity to own land without having to pay anything for it. Your only obligation is that you had to settle on it and live there for, I forget how many years at this point, but it was a set amount of you know, time, and the land was yours. It was a great thing, and it helped to drive people you know, into the West. Uh, it was such a wonderful you know, oppor- opportunity for people from all walks of life, and we had these massive migrations that helped settle uh, all, all, every from well, basically, you know, it started in uh, uh, from Ohio straight on through you know to California, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm just in awe uh, in its impact because it just you know it opened the doors. Uh, for people of all walks of life, particularly those who didn't have you know, any 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 other means, and suddenly they became property owners, and it was a huge thing. You know, I'm just so proud for our country. You know, in that, in fact, the Homestead Act. Uh, people think that it uh, lasted only in the 19th century, but it was act. It actually didn't end until the 1960s. Uh, up in Alaska, there was the the final Homestead Act claims were made yeah, in Alaska. Okay. Um, were any such promises made to black folks in terms of the uh, the Homestead Act? Um, you that know. Gets, oh yeah, that gets complicated because. Uh, here we're talking reconstruction, and you know I, that is beyond the scope of my book. And unfortunately, reconstruction is a very sad chapter in our history. Uh, there were many admirable efforts and attempts and successes, but they were undercut by uh, a lot of. Um, a lot of other efforts. Um, Well, moving back to the subject matter of the book, Mm -hmm. um, where did you see any common elements uh, between the two lives, between Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln? Uh, The most interesting one was the fact that, in one respect, uh, Lincoln was also a slave. Now, oh, was he now? Yeah. With respect in this context, as a minor, his father could 
uh, rent him out to various people, and the w- work that Lay- that Lincoln did, you know, the income derived thereof, his father yeah. received. So, you know, obviously, I I don't want to you know go too far along this line, but structurally, Lincoln. Uh, when you look at it from that standpoint, Lincoln was a slave. Uh, now, once he reached his majority, then he was free and clear and could do whatever he wanted and was not beholding to his father. But until he reached his majority, he was, you know, his father controlled him much the same way that a slave master controlled his slaves. Uh, you know, there were you know, some other limitations, but with respect to labor, you know, work, uh, Lincoln was shackled in the same way that uh, slaves were. And I, I'm, what I saw was that gave Lincoln a, an emotional connection to the African-Americans in that respect. What were some of the contrasts in the lives of these two men? Well, the biggest one was the fact that, uh, you know, uh, when you're talking about the American dream, where a person can pull himself up from the bootstraps and become whatever he wanted. Well, back then, yes, if you were white, that was entirely possible. And Lincoln is the epitome of that. But if you were black and tried to do the same darn thing uh, and a slave you know, in the South, that was regarded as rebellious nature, and the slave owners would do everything they could to beat that out of you. And for you, um, in writing this book and doing the research, what was the defining uh, moment for you in this book regarding their meeting, uh, Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. Um, there, well, there are two. You know, the the most famous one that is talked about is the first meeting between you know Douglass and Lincoln, but that was a private meeting. Uh, you know, and uh, though that's historically important and rightfully so, for what it was, uh, I went well. That is a private meeting. The one that really defined it for me was <clears throat> a later public meeting, uh, essentially uh, celebrating the end of the you know, of the Civil War, in which uh, there is this celebration. Uh, yeah, in short, oh, yes, it was actually. Uh, I'm sorry. It was following uh, Lincoln's uh, second inauguration speech on March uh, 4th, 1865. And Douglas was in the audience listening to the speech. And that evening, uh, he attempted to go into the White House. Uh, And on page 140 and 141, you know, I write about that. Uh, he, he was part of the line of well-wishers to gr- congratulate the president. 
Things were a lot simpler back then. You could actually go in and meet the president without uh, uh, the security arrangements that now exist, even though there were some back then. But when he got to the uh, door of the White House, uh, policemen, uh, two policemen attempted to stop him. <clears throat> and Douglas said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, as I said, no such order could have emanated from the president, uh, you know, in other words, forbidding him from you know, talking. And if he knew I, I was at the door, he would desire me admission. And word got to Lincoln uh, that Douglas was there, and uh, Lincoln ordered uh, Douglas to be allowed in. And what happened was a public meeting between the two in which Lincoln grasped Douglas by the hand, shook his hand very strongly, and said, I am glad to see you. I saw you in the crowd today listening to my inaugural, inaugural address. How did you like it? Douglas you know, said that he, okay, Douglas tried to prevaricate. Mr. Lincoln, I must not detain you with my poor opinion when there are thousands waiting to shake hands with you. No, no, said Lincoln. You must stop a little, Douglas. There is no man in the country whose opinion I value more than yours. I want you want to know what you think of it. And Douglas said, Mr. Lincoln, it was a sacred effort. And Lincoln said, I am glad you liked it. This act was a public statement that black men, well, blacks, are equal to whites. Because here, he, here is the President of the United States shaking hands and talking with an African-American, soliciting his opinion, and you have surrounding the, the group the cream of Washington society cabinet officers, generals, you know, every, uh, a wide variety of people. You could not make a more public statement about what had to happen here. Here was a statement of equality. And that, for me, was a defining moment in this story. Okay. Now, moving... Um Back to the slave owners and, um, you know, back in that day, only people that owned land and slaves amounted to about 1%, and they were the only ones that had the right to vote. Is that correct? Poor whites obtained the vote after the Civil War? Uh, well, no, uh, whites did have it. It's just that the uh, slave owners, the plantation owners, <clears throat> had ex you know extraordinary uh power well yeah it was a this is where we get into the three fifths uh clause in the constitution where <clears throat> was that in the constitution or was that a uh supreme no Court? that was in the constitution yes when you know in seventeen eighty seven uh during uh, the framing of the constitution, the most contentious Excuse me. The most contentious uh, topic was how do we account for slaves with regards to voting? Uh, because the South, which had slaves, one of them counted, and the North, which basically didn't, said, no, 
because it, it, it was a well, it was a power struggle, mm-hmm. and the compromise was that for voting purposes, slave owners, and, and here was where the massive hypocrisy. Uh, so, slave owners could count three fifths of their slaves. Uh, so for every five slaves that they owned, three counted as voters. But the blacks did you, could did not. you say three counted as voters? Well, yes, for okay. voting pur- for voting purposes. For voting purposes, gotcha. Go ahead. Right, but the blacks could not vote. What that meant was that the planta- the owner of the slaves, so. This was a classic case of, no, this is not one man, one vote. This was one man who happened to own X amount of slaves. It was his vote plus three-fifths of however many slaves he voted. So if he had 100 slaves, for instance, then it was his vote plus 35. His vote plus 35, okay. So yeah. could a landless person vote? Uh, a landless person could vote so long as he was white, but that was just one vote. So you see the obvious inequity, you know, in that, you know, if, um, you know, in that sort of situation where, you know, plantation owners who had their self-interest, if they stood behind a particular, you know, measure, well, it wasn't just, you know, plantation owners versus the landless people. It was plantation owners plus their slave vote, which they held because the slaves couldn't vote, and they could ram through any you know measure that they wanted. It was really lopsided. And, and so when was the requirement uh, removed for property owners only? Or was that ever an issue? Uh, okay, that is a completely separate thing because uh, that gets into the various civil rights uh, acts uh, that gets into the Jim Crow laws. That's that's really you know post uh, post my story. Uh, yeah, you raise a very good issue, uh, and I do touch on it very briefly at the end. But yeah, the point there was that um, the real key you know, you know began with the Plessy versus Ferguson. Uh, ruling by the um, Supreme Court uh, in 1896 that uh, was a separate but equal. And that really opened the door for all the other Jim Crow laws uh, that uh, kept, uh, designed to keep you know, African Americans, uh, disenfranchise them, and you know, make them. Uh, second-class citizens, and it was not until uh, Lyndon Johnson, a Texan, no less, and a Democrat, uh, with the Civil Rights Act you know, in 1864 and 1865 that finally ended legally you know, all of that injustice. So officially, when were poor uh, white landless men allowed to vote? Oh, they, they always had the, the right to vote. That w- that really was not an issue. You know, if you're talking about that part of it, um, you know, it was, are you white or are you slave? 
Yeah, and you know, even if you were free black, you still couldn't vote. Yeah, it was a whites-only vote. Um, so that issue was more, if you were poor or white, you had one vote. If you were rich and in the South particularly had a lot of slaves, you had, for all practical purposes, more than one vote. Okay, there seems that there is some disagreement on that particular issue. Uh, but moving along, um, what impact did Lincoln's death have on uh, Frederick Douglass and the issue of emancipation? Uh, it was probably the saddest part of that because it rendered the whole issue of emancipation incomplete. Lincoln, far and away, was the greatest champion for that, and he was the only one with sufficient stature, <coughs> excuse me, to fight back against the arrayed interest that wanted to keep African Americans as second-class citizens. Because the, there were two issues here. One was freeing, freeing the slaves, and the second one was you know, equality of the African Americans. Uh, racism was rampant in the North, uh, and that was a big thing that Lincoln recognized. And you know, he went on record saying he actually felt that it would take about a hundred years for equality to accrue to African Americans and he was basically right you know because it you know oh, yeah right plus 300 years maybe um oh yeah yeah i i'm not in a position to um go into detail there but he was very prescient in taking the long view of how it would take a lot of time for white people's attitudes to change. <clears throat> yeah, the upshot here is that um, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. It, it's it's such a complex, uh, you know, you know, thing that I don't know if I can adequately comment on it. I there were so many aspects of telling the story where I was going I struggled I said how can I tell this story this particular piece of it properly you know stepping back from it I said just writing this was an extraordinarily humbling experience mm -hmm. because I really had I recognized the burden of really trying to do the right thing, recognizing that I, at any point, I would stumble and fail. You know, and all I can, you know, tell, you know, the listeners is that I did my best. You know, uh, I, I only ask you to read it, you know, read the book with an open mind. I hope that... Um, what what the story I've been able to tell 
resonates you know, and is factual. If you see any error in there, I certainly apologize for that. I, But I tried to do the best I could to tell both Douglas's and Lincoln's story and the end result. Uh, with From Lincoln's what I can death, see, this is probably the first effort uh, made in that direction that I can tell. And uh, while we're on that, uh, give the listeners some information on where the book is available, uh, how can you be contacted, your contact information, should they want to get in touch with you on where to get the book, what the price of the book is, etc. Oh, uh, it's available on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com. You know, other you know, you can order it through your bookstores. Um, it is uh, twenty four ninety five, and um, yeah, anyone who wants to get in touch with me, I have a Facebook site. Uh, you can contact me through that, or you can contact me. Uh, I my uh, email address is d j o n z i m at gmail.com. That is djonzim at gmail.com. And uh, I I have been, uh, I have to say that I have um, been getting some very enthusiastic response from the library market. I have been invited to uh, Burrard County uh, for their 25th they have a literary festival, and this is the 25th year for that. And I have um, been asked to be a guest uh, author for that event that's happening in March. I have accepted that. The Kansas City Public Library System has asked me to come. Oh, you're coming uh, to my hometown, huh? Yes. Uh, so we're working out the uh, you know the details for the exact date there, but I'm looking forward to that and. Preston, I hope I see you there. I'll be uh, there. And uh, yeah, and there's uh, other you know, you know contacts that are available. Uh, I am just so thrilled, you know, to hear that kind of response because, really, a, this is an important story, and I tried to tell it well. And obviously, once it goes out there, well, that's what. You readers, you know, tell me whether or not I did it, did it right. Okay. Um, we're coming up and uh, getting a little short on time here. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, After Lincoln's death, uh, in what way did uh, Douglas's life change for him personally? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, sadly... It it changed his life for the you know for the negative. I certainly, it, with regards to who he was on the personal side, he had a respected position. No one was really going to challenge him. But in the larger you know story about um, working toward equality for you know African Americans, uh, the loss of Lincoln really removed the most important figure in that respect. Uh, and Douglas, you know, once once the amendments were passed, 
giving, you know, eliminating slavery, giving a, uh, African-American males the right to vote and everything. That pretty much ended uh, Douglas's efforts. He, that, that was, he devoted his whole life to that end. And from that point on, you needed the next generation of individuals to carry the torch, as it were. So he became an elder statesman, but unfortunately, uh, without the authority figure of Lincoln to uh, help uh, support him, the tenor of the times, the prejudice you know, of whites and everything, that worked ultimately against him and the African-American community. Uh, and they they just got more and more marginalized, you know, ultimately leading to that devastating decision, which I mentioned earlier, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, 1896, the separate but equal. Uh, and that just, you know... Uh, it you know, opened the floodgates for a a new set of discrimination uh, codified by a Supreme Court ruling that wouldn't end until wouldn't start to end, I should say, uh, until Johnson signed the Civil, Civil Rights Acts you know, in the 1960s. In the 1960s, yeah. Um, this format I find very interesting. Um, and um, what's your opinion now on using the graphic format for telling these kind of uh, histories and biographies and whatnot? I think it's a great thing for kids. I think it'll strike their their interest and make it easy for them to read. Uh, but what's your opinion on that? I agree with you. You know, I. I view it as an important first step. No, by no means do I say that this is definitive. But what I, my whole approach has been, it opens the door. It gets, you know, it exposes them to the varying things. Um, the format does not allow you to get into the depth and detail that a regular textbook does. However, it makes it accessible. You know, the combination of visuals and text, uh, it, you know, it is very kid-friendly. And that's really the important thing. Get them interested in the story. Um, you know, that history is not just simply a dry thing. Uh, to, to, they need to know so much. And here, what I'm hoping is that it makes it accessible. Okay. I think we're going to have to close. We're just about out of time. Well, we're out of time. And uh, I want to thank our guest, uh, Mr. Dwight Zimmerman, uh, for coming on and sharing his uh, information on his book, The Hammer and the Anvil, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and the End of Slavery in America. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Uh, Zimmerman, and I hope to see you uh, when you visit here in Kansas City. Thank you, Preston. I'm so happy, and uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you and, and shaking your hand. Great.
I'm looking forward to that. Okay, good night. Well, uh, quite an interesting topic um, here on the Gist of Freedom. Uh, I'm your host, Preston Washington, and we just finished our discussion with Mr. Dwight Zimmerman, who is the author of The Hammer and the Anvil, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and the End of Slavery in America. I'd also like to thank Leslie Gist for uh, making this show possible. And I hope you'll tune in the next time to hear what it is we have to say about African-American history here in the United States, all over the world for that matter. Take care, folks. See you next time. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.